Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I am Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects in Greenville, South Carolina. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, and you can also support us on Anchor and give us money in exchange for us continuing to make this podcast. I am joined by... This is Bradley Cox. I'm the lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And back again after a one-week hiatus. Ooh, I am back. This is John Ross, <laughs> church nerd and uh, Westminster effects artist from Lincoln, Nebraska. How's it going, everybody? So this week we are talking about something that really kind of made more headlines a couple weeks ago as Bradley's about to throw his iPad against the wall, and that might be kind of amusing. <laughs> so if you hear a lot of background noise, that's what's going on. <laughs> um, so Ligonier Ministries in Florida, the, uh, the I guess you could say, ministerial offspring of the late R.C. Sproul, teamed up with Lifeway Research and interviewed 3,000 evangelicals as they've done uh, every couple of years for the last several years now and just said, hey, what do you believe? Uh, so by their own definition, uh, this they're defining evangelical Christians as people who strongly agreed with the following four statements. That is, one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Two, it is very important for me to personally encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Uh, the results weren't pretty. <laughs> their, uh, their conclusion uh, says the 2018 State of Theology survey reveals deep confusion about the Bible's teaching, not only among Americans as a whole, but also among evangelicals. There is something very wrong when a majority of Americans can give the correct answers to basic Bible questions and at the same time say that their beliefs are purely a matter of personal opinion. These results show the urgent need for sound biblical teaching and the bold preaching of the gospel. Millions of people do not understand the holiness of God, the reality of sin, and the one way of salvation in Jesus Christ. There is much work to be done, but it is our hope that these things will serve the church in its efforts to reach more people with the faithful proclamation of the truth of God's word. So a few highlights. Uh, among those, 91% of professing evangelicals either agreed or strongly agreed with the statement, God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. And then 97% agreed or strongly agreed with the statement, there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's about it for the highlights, sadly. <laughs> um, and uh, even that, even that last one, like they're okay, nominally Trinitarian, right? But like sure. that very net. Okay, so for those of you who haven't seen the survey results yet, and I really encourage you to, you can check those out on the stateoftheology.com. Uh, it's organized in a pretty bar graph. You got some historical comparisons to what was done in 2016. And these are separated into different statements on whether they agree or disagree or not sure, and then varying degrees in between. Um, so immediately after on the report, now it doesn't seem like these were immediately after on the survey, because uh, uh, 
the Trinitarian question is statement number two. And then statement number six goes like this. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, I mean, I can understand a little bit of confusion when it comes to um, the incarnation. But, I mean, this is a pretty clear-cut question. And, I mean, we're talking 78% of people agree with that. So when we're, I mean, when we're, you know, shouting and hooting and hollering about the the 97 or 98, uh, you know, percent affirmation on Trinitarian doctrine, and then that pops up, I mean, it right. shows that, like, holy smokes, there's a big disconnect here between what we call ourselves and what we actually understand. And I think that's maybe where we need to need to roll with this. No, absolutely. So let's let's pound out a couple more of these low lights, I guess we'll call them. Uh, 51% of professing evangelicals agreed with the statement, everyone sends a little, but most people are good by nature. Uh, 51%. You know, I'm going to add a little bit of humor there. Um, uh, there was a, uh, a guest caller on the Ellen DeGeneres show years ago, and I don't watch it, but I saw the YouTube clip, and it was a, a fan of hers. And she has that this famous line uh, when this fan called in, and it says, uh, I love Jesus, but I drink a little. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, sorry to interrupt, but I uh, immediately thought of that. And I figured rather than uh, knowingly chuckling into the microphone, I might as well speak up. Sorry, go ahead. Fair Cody. enough, fair enough. Uh, 51% agreed with the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we already did. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God and how people actually agreed with that. Only 32% of evangelicals agreed with the statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Um, so guys, what's going I mean, the, on in the church? <laughs> the majority, the, I, you know, the majority of that last question is in the disagree camp. So, I mean, that's, that's good. Um, because you know, if you're the double negatives in these surveys, get me a little bit. And I wonder if they may have confused the participants too. And in some of these, I'm kind of holding on to that, that string. Yeah. Um, because in this question, your religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. If you agree with that, that's obviously incorrect and goes against right. Scripture. Right, but so but still, it, in terms of in terms of statistics, that would mean that one out of the three of us. Mm-hmm. That's that's still too many. That's still way so, too many. So Westminster family, who is it? Is it Bradley with his dashing <laughs> with his dashing beard and theological training? Is it Cody Fields with his knack for microcircuitry? Or is it John Ross who just hangs out over the internet? <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> you know, what stands out to me is just, um, and, and it's really mind-boggling, is just the prediction. It's like, you know, yeah. how, how do these how do these statements coexist in the same brain of some people? Because, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming that of the... Ninety-one percent uh, of evangelicals that agree that God counts a person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. That of of that ninety-one percent that agree with that statement, which is absolutely right and true, 
that some of those people also make up the 52% that agree everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Mm-hmm. So th- there's overlap there. Does that make sense? Yeah, those logically can't coexist. So those logically can't coexist, and I, I, I'm, I'm not privy to the, um, you know, how this survey was done, uh, but I guess I would assume the way it's laid out that there's overlap there in agreement, and and therefore mm-hmm. we are we're staring down the barrel of evangelicals with. Doctrinal contra- contradictions existing mm-hmm. in their mind, which is mind-boggling. To right, me. right, and obviously we don't want to just dwell on the fact that uh, there's massive amounts of confusion. We also want to get like, let's really dwell on how do we fix this? Yeah, how definitely. do we fix this? How do we how do we get it into people's minds and really into their hearts that? Hey, theology matters. Doctrine matters. Uh, doctrine is actually what makes up the Christian faith. It is a set of teachings. <laughs> yeah. It's not just it's not just you hanging out in the woods with God, mm. as certain people might uh, might be inclined to believe. It is it is the faith once for all delivered to the saints, like Jude says. Definitely. So here's here's a question I've got, or or a thought, or or something. Insert word here uh well the first is that so many of these uh are in a uh, inverse parabola uh for uh trends i mean some of these are obviously very polarizing issues and the data shows that as well so here's the thing that kind of hits me so if we look at statement number 13 and bradley this is the one that you brought up thing that 91 percent agree that god counts a person as person as righteous not because of one's works, but only because of faith in Jesus Christ. That is a very churchy worded statement, right? And so, um, I think that that is something that is preached in in our churches and has said, "Hey, this is truth." And so, when someone hears those words back to them, like, "Hey, I remember, I remember this this sounding thing." Of course, I agree with that. But when we talk about whether people are inherently good, or not. That isn't a very churchy statement. And I think there, actually, huh, interesting. The everyone sins a little is actually statement number 11. So, assumably, they gave that answer before they gave answer number 13, which was the uh, God counts a person as righteous because of faith in Christ. So, I'm wondering if, like, People have a disconnect in their mind. I, I'm not even wondering. Like, I think this is actually accurate, is that people have a disconnect in their mind between Sunday morning, between the hours of 8 and 12, and then the, the rest of their lives, where when I'm at church, I'm in church mode. And every time else, I'm, you know, I'm just a good person who would call themselves Christian. It almost seems like there's some sort of difference there because when you think, hey, is everyone good? Like, yeah, yeah, I think my friends are good. You know, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know a murderer or, or a thief or a crook, um, but if Ray Comfort's to be believed, we all <laughs> certainly are. <laughs> um, and so I, I think there's that disconnect there and that maybe people aren't, taking hold of what they hear on Sunday beyond an academic uh, level. 
like they hear it. It's like, oh yeah, I can, I can rattle off these answers. Like my son goes to Christian school and they have, they have scriptural memory work every week. And I do my hardest when I work with him on that to explain to me what the verse means, not just recite it, because there's a difference between that knowledge sitting on your heart and sitting in your head. And I think maybe that's what's going on here. I mean, yeah. would you like? Would you agree with that? Uh, for, as someone who's been in the pastoral ministry for uh, longer than you probably care to admit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zing, I, got him. You know, interestingly, I've I've been in pastoral ministry for about twenty years. And five, I think five or six years ago, I made a, a pretty significant shift in the way that I taught, the way that I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for the majority of that 20 years, I'd been a, what you might call a topical preacher. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not here trying to debate topical versus expository, you know, that's another episode, that's another episode, but <laughs> I, I, I'll just tell you my, my story is I switched from topical to expository because what I realized is that it's just altogether too easy um, to in, in a topical kind of teaching mode to to, to fly thirty thousand feet above um, the, the the most crucial core doctrines of the church and of the Christian faith that we don't actually ever really wrestle with that because the 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 emphasis, the emphasis in topical teaching tends to be uh, the application, and we've talked about this before, the whole thing about making the Bible practical. And I actually had a discussion earlier today with a, a trusted friend about, you know, Eugene Peterson just passed away, uh, who is a, somewhat of a controversial figure. Um, there's a lot about what he wrote and taught that I appreciate. I loved his memoir on the pastor. But, you know, it would have been really helpful uh, if when he wrote the message, if he would have just labeled it a commentary uh, or his his sermon take on the scripture as opposed to a translation. Because in 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 a, you know, I guess if you call it a Bible like that and even in things like the NIV, you, you privilege the reader rather than the author. You, you, you put the the application in front of the truth itself. And the, the problem with that is I think you, you don't end up wrestling with the truth in the way that is, is really needed. Um, if, if that even remotely makes sense, I, I don't know. It, it's it, it's it, topical preaching tends to, like you're saying, John, you, you make a pass at God counts a person righteous because not because of works, but because of faith in Christ. You take a, a pass at that in an effort to get to how this gospel or this Bible is going to tell me my life gets better. Hmm. Um, and instead of really wrestling with what that means. And so the person in the audience leaves the service, having heard that statement, and they look at it in a survey and go, yeah, I agree with that, but they haven't wrestled with it enough to realize that that statement actually informs the previous statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. They haven't wrestled with that to the point where they go, that those two statements can't be true at the same time. And so I think there is a responsibility on the teacher to lead people, the teacher, the pastor, to lead people to wrestle with the truths 
um, expressed in Scripture, wrestle with them to the point where they it, it's not just a sound bite I heard in a sermon, but it's actually something I'm digesting and processing and meditating on because it matters. This, I mean, this the truth the gospel matters. is a stumbling block. I mean, we hear that we hear that through Scripture. I mean, this is not an easy teaching. I mean, Christ says it himself. This is a hard teaching. Watch out. This is difficult. And so, if you're just going to be like that, there we go. Jesus loves you. Yeah, moving on. You you mentioned um, the flyover, and so I I sometimes think, you know, visually. uh, When was the last time you were on a plane? Uh, Probably when you went to. Uh, just recently, Cancun. Do you know what route your plane took? You you took off from what Greenville International? We took off from Greenville. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we and then, flew. We flew over. Um, we we went over. I think the the Panhandle of Florida, and okay. then out over the Gulf. Did you land in Florida? No. Did you ever go to Florida then? Not that trip. No. See see where I'm going? Yeah, absolutely. Well played. You flew over Florida, but you never actually went there. And I think and that's the problem with taking a very shallow yet wide kind of stance or view or approach to teaching Scripture is that, yes, it is wide and there is a lot to cover, but it is so deep. And if we ever want to actually go there, we've got to slow down and we've actually got to land, you know, Well, and, and, you, spend, you... and spend some time. Well, and you just articulated way better than me even the reason why I made the switch to expository style teaching is because I felt like we weren't ever landing the plane long enough to actually, you know, dive in to these very, very crucial things. And I think there is a responsibility. You, You asked the question, Cody, how do we fix it? There is the responsibility of the teacher Mm-hmm. To land the plane, it's such a great analogy, John, land the plane on the runway of righteousness by faith in Christ alone. We gotta land that plane and we gotta we gotta we gotta tour that city long enough to uh, be able to you know understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. And then Absolutely. I think there's the responsibility on the hearer also. Mm-hmm. I think of the Bereans it, what is it in Acts 17, I think, where they listened yep. to the Apostle Paul preach. And then it says that they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched yep. the scriptures yep. for themselves to see if, to they see were if true. these things yep. were so. And so the, the responsibility is on both the teacher and the hearer to land the plane. I love that. I'm, that's going to find its way into a sermon, <laughs> sermon or 10. John. I'm going to. I'm going to expand on it for you because here's this. Until you land, when you're traveling, until you get to your destination, you seldom think about the route that you took to get there. Right. However, as soon as you land, you're like, man, I took off from Greenville this morning. Yeah. And what yeah, happened and, on and the way? You know, I had a Diet Coke. You know, I had a beep, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead, Cody. Yeah, not not to backtrack too much, but I'll, I'll bring it full circle is – I had a discussion with a with a pastor one time um, who said that, you know, people don't want theology. People want to know how to keep their marriages from falling apart. Well, what will keep a marriage from falling apart other than the gospel? It's like how we've been in Romans 2 the last couple weeks. And if you come to the understanding that you are a wretched sinner 
who is only saved by grace. And then you understand that your spouse is also a wretched sinner only saved by grace. And you are in the same boat. That will immediately humble you. Absolutely. At least yourself, if not also your spouse. When, because that will change. That has a practical, very practical consequence. Is you understand who you are and who God is. And that, when you have the vertical, that will affect the horizontal. Well, just Absolutely. think about it. Just think about that statement that you heard someone make is that people don't want your theology. They want to know how to keep their marriage together. That that statement in of itself uh, assumes that the two are mutually exclusive. Exactly. Whereas what I've the more I've studied scripture, uh, the more I've come to realize is that every problem, every every, you know, issue like that, if, if it, there there is a theological answer to every problem. There Absolutely. really is. There's yeah. not. The two are not mutually exclusive. There's a theology about how I live in my marriage as a Christian husband. The gospel has something to say about that. And and while the gospel may not address all the different permutations of my marriage specifically and the the circumstantial realities that I may face, there is a doctrinal truth. There's a foundation there that I can stand on regardless of what's going right. on in my marriage. And I can yep. live well in. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't I mean, buy that anymore. And, and to kind of bring that around to just sitting on topical stuff all the time, I kind of think the same thing applies to devotional reading. Uh, where if if you're like I have no problem with somebody reading something like Oswald Chambers uh, sure. with my utmost for his highest, but I think if you're going to have a devotional book, that's that's typically going to be best as a supplement to reading actual chunks of scripture. Where if if you get one verse and then and then five hundred to a thousand words of what somebody thinks about that, you're reading vastly more of what somebody thinks about scripture than actual scripture and that informing how you live your life. Absolutely. Well, the in, um, the inverse is also is also accurate. I mean, there are so many devotionals out there that turn into a, you know, one of those flip those desktop flip calendars. You know, each day has a inspiring mm-hmm. quote or, you know, or something like that. It, the gospel is not self-help. And right. there are so many preachers and churches backing that idea that it is. And I think it goes back to people want help on their marriages and they don't understand that they are connected, that they, that one flows out of the same regeneration, sanctification, you know, they don't get it because what they hear in church think, Oh, this doc, this doctrinal theological stuff, this is all academic, but it doesn't lead to my heart. And so going back to my, when I proposed the the disconnect between head and heart, I think it continues into that very statement where people are saying, "Well, church has nothing to do with this because church is is talking to my head, my sen- you know, my my reason in my sen- you know, my reason, my senses, and whatever." I think I stole that from Luther, but um, that's a problem. <laughs> We are not, I mean, you can't just be a Sunday Christian because being a Christian implies, almost requires, in the spirit of James, requires life change. Yeah. It's not good enough to be a fig tree. You've got to have fig fig on your tree. tree, 
You know what I think one of our biggest problems is, and I could probably rant about this, so I'll try and not stay on a soapbox, is is our people in our churches are not stupid. No. We have this assumption and I've and I've heard I think it was William Lane Craig who when somebody was explaining the Trinity, it might not have been, but it might have been. He says enough dumb stuff, so we'll just go with that. Where he or somebody explained the Trinity, and he's like, the average person is never going to grasp that. Well, that's that's a load. The Bible was written to average people uh, with very deep truths, and ultimately at the Council of Nicaea and Chalcedon, and with the Athanasian Creed and all that kind of awesome stuff. Most of those pastors were actually fairly average. They were regular dudes who were who were concerned about what was being taught globally within Christianity. Mm-hmm. So so we have to stop assuming that one the people that we're talking to are stupid and two we also have to stop thinking that we ourselves are stupid and can't handle these things. Or right. I've had a lot of conversations even in group settings with people that I really love and care about where I'll I'll Say, you know, and obviously I can do a better job of of explaining the terms, but I'll drop a term and sometimes it's a there have been times, I'll say that, there have been times when I, I dropped a term that I thought was relatively common knowledge, not just like a nerd term, and people were like, Wait, what? Yeah. And I'm like, All right, you're not dumb. <laughs> you you can handle this. For sure. Um, yeah, and that that just drives me crazy. Is so people are people aren't by and large. Well, people are stupid. That's my cynical side. <laughs> that's, that's me. That's me buying into total depravity. But in terms of intellect, people are a lot smarter than evangelicalism has given them credit for. Yeah, I love I love how you how you just like justify your crotchety attitude about the state of the world on on a point of tulip. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I mean, so I mean, if know, we bounced, sorry, Bradley, I, I was gonna say if we bounce back to the um, the seeker sensitive episode where you know where we discussed, you know, what is our worship service there to do? I mean, there are a lot of churches that have a worship service that's specifically seeker sensitive for quote outsiders, those outside of the faith, to be attracted to come and to learn. And so many of those services, I think, do things that are more along the lines of self-help Christianity. The problem is there's no staying power there. Um, right. You know, they'll yeah. they'll feed them these platitudes and send them on their way. Well, if you hear, you know, a good catchphrase, well, you're going to cling to that for a long time, even if it's not entirely true. So, you know, that popped in my head. I wanted to get a word in edgewise. You were kind of going where I was going. Um Let's take the statement, um, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And, and 71, 78% of, are we still in the evangelical category here? Mm-hmm. So 78% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Now, a really, not even an all that in-depth reading of John chapter 1 would would blow that to smithereens, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, that Jesus is a created being. But I wonder sometimes if, you know, the church, um, whether it's pastors or church leaders or just congregation in general, wonders, you know, does that really matter? 
what, you know, whether mm-hmm. or not Jesus is a created being, does that even matter? Is that worth our time and energy to wrestle with that question um, in in our church gatherings or in our small groups? And I Council think, of Nicaea certainly thought so. They, they certainly <laughs> did, but I, I wonder, like, you know, you, you talk about the seeker-sensitive movement. Um, I, I have a, a, a pastor that I follow on social media. He's not a well-known pastor. Pastor's a growing church in our in another part of our state. Um, I think he's a really good dude. Um, I, I knew him from my college days. I think he really loves Jesus, but I, I've noticed on social media that he's doing a he has been doing a series called You Matter. And it's a, I don't mm. know how many weeks he's done it, but it's a, a, a teaching series called You Matter that's building up to this big event that I think he's doing this weekend uh, where he's rented out a high school stadium and they're doing this big event that's called You Matter. Now, I don't know the content of his series uh, fully, but. Every time I've seen a post about that, there's there's a twinge in my soul. And the reason there's a twinge in my soul is because I think is because here here is a snapshot of you know mainstream church today where we think that what we gotta do in order to get people in our doors and keep them interested is to tell them how they matter. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's really the point. And, and you know, we, we sort of circle all of the wagons of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's benefits and blessings uh, as all sort of culminating in this. Well, you matter. You're awesome sauce. And and so just think about the how I don't know, just how wicked that could even be. Oh, absolutely. Because you, 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 you tempt people to come into your doors to hear that they matter, that they're really the point, uh, and they come because what they're really looking for ultimately is satisfaction. We all want to be satisfied. We want to, we want to find joy, and we're tempting people into our churches with something that they might instinctively think will bring them joy and satisfaction, but at the end of the day, it won't. And this this dawned on me today. In hell, people will be screaming, I'm, I matter. I yeah. matter. I shouldn't be here. But in eternity, people will be not even in the least bit concerned with their own worth. They will be enjoying eternal bliss forever because they are completely consumed with God's worth. And here's a statement: Jesus is the first and created, you know, greatest uh, being created by God. And the reason it, you know, wrestling with that and tr- endeavoring to understand whether it's true or not matters is because Jesus matters. Yeah, who he is, and 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 who is he? What is his being? That he is worthy of of our attention to understand whether or not he was created or whether he was in the beginning with God and all things were nothing was made except that which was made by him. That matters because he matters. And if our churches are focused on that we matter, then these kinds of statements are not even going to be wrestled with. And so, mm-hmm. you know, how could an evangelical, you know, realize that that statement is um mm incredibly false 
uh, because it's it's never even dawned on them that it matters whether or not Jesus was created or not. Because I, I imagine a lot of people would look at that and go, uh, Jesus was created. I mean, what is, who cares? You know, what does that even matter? I think part of this is brought on by the fact that we don't want to draw lines on who's in and who's out uh, anymore in, in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then by doing that, you end up creating your own lines on who's in and who's out. Yeah. Uh, I was reading a book uh, recently for uh, research purposes only. We'll say that <laughs> uh, because I just torture myself that way sometimes. Um, and and the guy had a the author had a statement in there of essentially, well, if if you claim Jesus, uh, then we're on the same team. But that totally misses, well, which Jesus are we talking about? Are we talking about the Mormon Jesus, the Jehovah's Witnesses Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Quran, even? The Jesus that stole your bike? Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And how does that Jesus save? Are we talking about by grace through faith alone? Are we talking about grace and merit or whatever? Uh, like these things matter tremendously. Uh, We can't just say, Oh, well, if you, if you throw out a hat tip to Jesus, then, then we're good. It it doesn't work like the Bible doesn't work like that. I mean, you even got the, the sheep and the goats where Jesus tells the goats, I never knew you. And they said, we did all this stuff in your name. Well, Mm -hmm. here's, here's the Westminster effects doxology podcast pro tip. Uh, for you pastors and worship leaders out there. If you want to show your congregation that they matter to you, give them Jesus and Jesus to the full Mm. in his entirety, in his depth and breadth as revealed to us in scripture. And that is how we're going to solve these horribly depressing answers on this survey. Give them Jesus. Give them 66 books of the Bible. Yeah, and I and like I know I know the truth that God has given to us. Yeah, I know we've we've been a little more soapboxy, a little more ranty than usual, but that's that's because these things matter and they matter Absolutely. eternally. It's not just uh you know, Jesus being fully God and fully man in the in the hypostatic union is not a matter of preference. It, that is not on the same level of how much delay or how much overdrive I have on my guitar. <laughs> or how bright the lights are, or even if we played this certain song by this certain guy. Like, this is this is uh, the core of the Christian faith. It is. This is this, this actually will determine who's in and who's out. <laughs> like, it's, it's one thing to be ignorant. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody's presented the gospel and they, they accept it, and then they go out and get hit by a bus and they haven't been trained, I see that as different than outright denying core things. Oh, yeah. I mean, a member of a church for a while. Yeah, if you straight up reject the worth of Christ and put that in, and put yourself and your own quote intrinsic worth in that place, well, yeah, I mean that's that's an outright denial of the gospel. I mean, well, I love what you said, John, about you know if you want to you want to love your people well, you want to show them that they matter to you, give them Christ to the full, and I, and I think you know. Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's addressing a church that I think the the church in America could identify with in a lot of ways because 
Whereas in Galatia, the problem was um, false teachers trying to add circumcision back in. Here in Colossae, it was a lack of focus on the person of Christ and more on, you know, argument. He talks about plausible arguments and uh, philosophies and what have you. Um, and, And this is what he says to them. He says, him, talking about Christ, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. For I want to know, I, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. This is what Paul's laboring for. And for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged now, listen to this, that their hearts may be encouraged. I doubt there's a pastor listening that would say, I don't want to encourage my people. Being knit together in love. Uh, I doubt there's a pastor listening to us right now that wouldn't say, I want my people to be knit together in love. J.D. Hall, but And then listen to this, to reach all of the riches of the full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And then here's the summary statement, which is Christ is Christ. So all of those things are going to be found in Christ. All of those things are going to be realized in Christ and understanding the full measure of who he is. Um, it, it, it's, it's what we have to do. If we're going to solve this problem, I think, you know, we've got to slow down, land the plane, uh, spend two years in the gospel of Mark, spend three years in the, in Paul's letter to the Romans, just, let the questions come, resist the temptation that you've got to send your people away on a Sunday morning with a, a sermon that's, you know, neatly tied off in, in, a, in a little bow and packaged together so that they don't leave going, well, what about and what about? And I don't understand if they leave doing that, that. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Go home and have conversations around your dinner table, open the scriptures and, and read and pray and uh, because this matters and, uh, this, these contradictions in statements, um, among evangelicals were really to me, the, the indictment that we as pastors and church leaders need to take responsibility for. Um, it's not that that relieves our people of any responsibility, but the doctrinal anemia in the church is, is only going to be corrected by celebrating and elevating God's word uh, before our people, exulting over it um, because of what it does to tell us about Christ, tell us about God and his kingdom. That you know, And that's the only way we're going to lead people into true joy. Well, dang, that's a good place to leave off. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, so recommended reading. There's a lot that we could recommend. Go ahead, John. Uh, recommended reading for this week, and I've got some. <laughs> I did my homework. Uh, it is yeah, entitled, and Cody, do not get excited because it's not by the author you think it's going to be by when I say the name of it. The name is A Summary of Christian Doctrine by... Edward Kohler. Uh, It is written from the perspective of the Lutheran tradition, um, explains uh, concepts found within the Lutheran confessions. That would be the Augsburg Confession, the the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, all that stuff that's that's all bound together there. Um, But aside from that, 
is a uh, is a deep ish dive into the details and to the how, what, why, and where of what we believe. And so that would be my recommended reading for this week. Not the Burkhoff one. Sorry, Cody. Has somebody recommended <laughs> C.S. Lewis Mere Christianity yet? No, I think it was you. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Did I recommend it already? I don't know, but I've forgotten. So if we forgot, so do the listeners. I don't remember if I did or not, but I don't. Just in our discussion today, I started thinking about um, some of the things that he wrote. I, I, you know, I love C.S. Lewis because of, you know, his journey to faith and and how he, you know, he landed the plane on the big questions mm-hmm. and he um, uh, he wrestled with them and he looked to the scriptures to do that. and And I think uh, I, I think this book is an essential for. Uh, for all believers, if you haven't read it, um, go through it. Go through it slowly. Read it two or three times. Um, it it it'll really. It, I think it does. You know, address some of these these bigger issues that we've talked about even today um, about you know the true nature of man and what's going on with 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 God and this gospel. What what is God doing? You know, it, it's it's a great book. I might even reread it again myself. And my recommended reading this week, I thought it fitting with uh, the survey being done by Ligonier to include an R.C. Sproul book. And that one is Everyone's a Theologian, An Introduction to Systematic Theology. Uh, yeah, and it's it's not all that huge. It's not daunting. It's not, you know, it's not the Institutes or, or Burkhoff. Or, or Van Til, or anybody like that. R.C. Sproul does such a good job at taking these huge concepts, uh, whether it's intellectual, philosophical, or theological, and boiling them down to something that normal people can grasp and understand quickly. Uh, even even on his Renewing Your Mind uh, podcast, where it's you know it's twenty five minutes. And he plows through something, and by the end of it, you're like, "That makes so much sense." And he's, he, he's amazing. Yeah, he 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 did the same thing with everyone's a theologian. So go buy go buy that or whatever. Check it out at your library if they even have decent theology books. I doubt they will. They probably just have Joel, Joel Osteen. But anyway, if you're actively writing and performing music and would like to become an official Westminster artist. You may get your song played at the end of one of these podcast episodes. Fill out our application at westminstereffects.com. Follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a five-star review. Of course, you don't have to be honest. Just make it five stars. Uh, thanks for listening. Here is One Cool Summer, even though this is airing in October, by Shazad Banji over in Cotter. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>